Welcome back to another episode of the Max Term Podcast. Kyle Stitch here alongside James Finch. And today we are continuing our kind of look to the future series with the Detroit Red Wings. A team that so far in the current season, the 2023-2024 season, are off to maybe a better than expected start. But I wouldn't say significantly so. They've been a team that's been building and... uh, trying to maybe push push the gas pedal down a little bit more and so that's going to be the topic today we wanted to hit them sooner because of their hot start because the idea is kind of hit near playoff teams first and then kind of work both directions away from that so uh appreciate you listening to this podcast uh we're available on pretty much every major platform max term pod max term podcast will find us uh, if you have any questions, thoughts at AFP Analytics on Twitter, as well as Max Term Pod on Twitter, we also are both on the new Blue Ski app. Um, our names are basically the best way to find us through that. The AFP Analytics account is not yet over there; it will be hopefully soon. And any ads, anything associated with this podcast, are not necessarily products that we're working with, endorsing. And with that, the Detroit Red Wings, again, they have been off to a hot start this year. They are a team that should have built up a pretty nice prospect pool because of the struggles, we'll say, they've had in recent years. But part of that also is they've never had it. I will say lottery luck, if you will. They've they've had the records that have been towards the highest odds, but never picked in the top three. So they're still maybe chasing that top end talent. But some of the players that have been talked about as kind of long-term options for them are starting to show some more signs, I guess I'd say. So Detroit start with the now the current so in our atlantic division preview we had talked about they were a team that was clearly trying to win now and i think we're really seeing that at least at the start of this season yeah so i i think we'll be able to get a little critical with detroit but to start talking about this season yeah they they kind of came out of the gate and really, it was the Larkin Debrinket pairing, not pairing their line, but it was pretty much those two that I think everyone was going to be watching, and they have put on a show so far. That to me is the real bright spot of this roster. You mentioned our Atlantic Division preview. And I remember we were pretty critical about how they've built this team. And I think it's important to just highlight that, yeah, that one move appears to be paying off. I think we had talked about how a lot had to go correct, go right for them. Yes. And one of the big things that we said is if Debrinket can produce at an elite level and kind of help Larkin out, that maybe they could take a step forward. But we also had highlighted their depth, particularly on defense as a question mark as well. 
Yeah, so a, a big part of that was, okay, the Dabrinka move could be great, but it's not by itself enough of a push forward. Um, they seem like they're going to be a little better this year, but uh, again, I, I would say, at least my own opinion, yeah, probably not quite enough um, just with that one move. Defensively, I don't love the short-term or long-term outlook of their defense. It's okay. It's average, I would say. Mo Sider is going to be their their franchise defenseman moving forward. Jake Wallman's kind of a sneaky, good defensive player. The one move they did make that I kind of like, and I... I think I've seen it's been going fairly well was the Shane Gossespierre signing, but that's also a very short-term addition to the roster. He's on a one-year contract. Not to say it could he couldn't be extended or re-signed, but at the same time, to be honest, Shane Gossespierre isn't like an overwhelming great name in let's say like your top three. He's probably more of a really solid fourth at best defenseman there's also some names in there that I don't think are quite moving the needle in the right direction at this point like a Jeff Petrie so I I, kind of look at their defense and it's just sort of average which is fine um, but it's nothing to be excited about and too optimistic about I believe the quote you used in the Atlantic Division preview is they have two to three third pairs and I think that that's probably was fair at the time I think what I think things again things are going well we're just a really a handful of games into the season so sample size absolutely is still an issue here um so I mean I'm not ready to full-on take the L because we're there's like Again, things can regress, and there's probably reason to believe they will. But with that all having been said, Mo Sider seems to be one one of the things we said is he needs to take another step forward. That seems to be happening. Yep. Jake Wallman is definitely good. So Sider Wallman, like that's now a legitimate first pair where we were questioning if it would be. Yeah. So that so that I think is going to continue to happen. I think you should feel if you're a Detroit fan good about that pushing forward. Gosses Baron basically quarterbacking the second unit away from Cider has helped that team a lot. Like their power plays off to a torrid start. Again, can they keep that up? I would bet against that, but it's always possible. I think the bright spot so far on defense has been Justin Hole and Ben Sherratt, who much maligned from various fan bases over the years, have shockingly come together to kind of form a decent shutdown pair. And that is probably one of the keys for their kind of improved play to start this season. Yeah, so Justin Hull was so it's kind of 
in a way run out of Toronto, at least by the fans. I don't think that was really justified. Um, he made some mistakes a bit, but overall he was a solid defensive player. And so one of the big things that where I was saying it seemed like they had uh, a, at least like a couple bottom pairs as far as where all these guys would ideally slot in. So to to use Gossespierre as an example, very skilled defenseman as far as being able to put up positive offensive impacts and it was kind of expected, at least by me, that he would be someone who could quarterback a power play. Certain guys, so you mentioned the pair of uh, uh, Justin Hall and who was the other one? Ben Sherratt. Ben Sherratt, yes. Okay, so Justin Hall and Ben Sherratt, they're kind of typically known to be a little more defensive. It was just, is it going to work? And I think in that role where they're not being forced to do a whole lot more than that, that's it's going to work. That's good. That's kind of their specialty. So I, I think the big thing with Detroit, you mentioned Cider and Wallman kind of being that top pair, and we weren't sure about that. It seems like they're going to be that. They've taken that step. That's good. That's great. Where I have a little concern is with these other names. I, I think they tend to be kind of that fringe second, third pair. What would be fine as like the fourth defenseman on that second pair. Kind of have their specialties. And if it, if they kind of get pushed out of what they're good at, that's where the problems might start. So it's, I guess to provide an example of that, if Gossespierre needed to kind of be used on a shutdown pair, I don't think that's going to go very well. If you put Justin Hull on the power play too, if Gossespierre gets hurt, that's not going to go so well. So I, I guess I'll say I think it's a plus because it appears, at least at the start of the season, that they found the right type of players for the roles that needed to be filled i think this basically says if cider or jake wallman get hurt detroit might have some issues like so again i want like I, i'm not trying to avoid completely taking the l here because so far they're proving us wrong but they're proving us wrong because all of the things that we said were probably issues would that would need to go right right now are going in Detroit's favor can that be sustained long term is the question and it seems like there could be just one injury away from I'm not going to say pure disaster but coming very much back down to earth and that's I think a concern so everyone's perfectly slotted where they need to be but the minute that can't continue to occur I agree. I think we're that's when the trouble might kind of show because Gosses Bear then is going to have to probably take more defensive zone starts, more defensive minutes, if you will. And then who's going to replace a Wallman or Cider? I don't even know. I don't know what that answer would be. And that's kind of a problem. So hopefully health 
health is good and you know Detroit can continue to kind of chug along here but that that's a big question and it's even scarier when you look at the age of a lot of Detroit's blue line Sherratt 32 Gossip Fair 30 Hole 31 Wallman who's younger is 27 Olimato 29 Jeff Petrie 35 and then Mo Sider's young at 22 if you're if you're betting there you're not betting on things continuing to go well for players at that age. Like you're, you're expecting some level of regression, steps back injury. And I think again, that's the concern. And again, this we're, we're kind of picking apart a team that started off playing very well. Um, so yeah, I, in the first, almost a month, first few weeks of the season, I, we were pretty much wrong about Detroit, We've had some recent episodes where we were talking about over and unders on the point totals. I still am not quite there with Detroit where I'm feeling super confident that this is going to continue because of kind of those reasons we just went through. So, yeah, they've started off hot. That's great. Um, Beating my expectations for them, but not something I'm – not something I'm overly confident in yet. So let's stick with their current roster while also keeping in mind the the ages of those defensemen. And let me also highlight while we're kind of on their current blue line, contract lengths we're looking at. Because as we start to tear, kind of take this apart and look towards the future as well, the contract lengths and the ages of their blue line, in my opinion, is going to start to become a level of an issue. So, Sherratt, 32, three more years. So, that takes him through into his th- age 35 season. Gosses Bear, this is, he's on a one-year contract. So, that that there's some flexibility there. Justin Hole, three years, takes him to 34. He, he's 31 now. Jake Wallman's on a three-year contract, taking him to age 30. Ole Mata, two years, taking him to 31. Jeff Petrie, retain, a lot of salaries retained, so we're, we're down to just a $2.3 million cap hit. But he's 35 with two more years left. So, well, this year and next year, I guess. So when I'm saying two years, I mean this year and then next season. So, there's... Not a ton of contracts coming off their books next year. And then Cider is in the last year of his deal and will be a restricted free agent this summer. And that's going to probably be one of the first decisions we talk about as far as long-term planning goes. Let's jump to their goalies, their current goalie situation. Billy Husso, again, is, is gets credit for their hot start. He's been He's been good this year. I mean, he was good for stretches last year as well. And then James Reimer and Alex Lyon. I think one thing that, like, Alex Lyon is still on the NHL roster, and I think he kind of has to be because the minute he hits waivers, someone's probably picking him up, and I think the same would be said for Reimer as well. So Detroit's rolling with three goalies, which right now seems to be working. All three seem to be playing fairly well. 
Yeah, so the the goalies for Detroit, that was kind of another area where we picked on them a little bit. Not for a lack of trying, but there was, I think, some hesitancy from us about whether uh, Huso was going to be kind of good enough to be their top goalie. So far, so good. And Reimer in the few games he's had, so far, so good. Um, so that situation is at least starting off great for the team. Feel like there could be some regression coming at some point, but for right now in the short term, it's working. When we look long term at their goalie situation, at least looking at the guys on that current NHL roster, Reimer's got one year left and Huso and Lyon both have two. So, so I'm I'm gonna say long term, Reimer and Lyon don't necessarily matter. Huso is the one we're gonna want to watch because if he proves that he can be a number one or at least a pretty solid one A, that's definitely a player who you're gonna want to probably extend. If he can't be that consistently, he isn't really the go to guy. They're not stuck with him. Um, again have one more year after this season so I I think you hope that the start of the season the way things have gone continues all throughout and you'll have a great goalie Detroit will have a great goalie and if not this is kind of a position where they've got some flexibility for the future I think that's the key with the goalie position is they've got some guys that right now are playing well one who might be a good long-term, longer-term option in Huso, but again, hitting the nail on the head is they have flexibility here. And as we get into kind of their prospect pool, who's in the pipeline, I think it's I think that's even better. So I really like how they've set up their contract situation for their goalies, not committing tons of money while also having some long-term flexibility here. So where I where I have hesitancy with their defense, the goalie's kind of the opposite. I, I'm I'm very much into how they've set that up. And then their forward group, that's kind of where we're stu- we started, so we'll kind of circle back here. Larkin, Debrinket, Lucas Raymond have been, I believe, a tremendous first line for Detroit. Again, a lot of a lot of the credit's been going to Larkin and Debrinket, but um, it's it would be kind of remiss to not not include all three guys there. And then JT Confers come in and provided more offense than I think I was expecting. I think we I, I won't speak for you here, but I wasn't super into Confer. I thought him and Cop were the same type of player, and it seems like Confer is providing a little bit more right now. I think Cop's also been a little bit better as well, and that might be just being able to be cast in a little bit more favorable role. Yeah, so I believe those two have been skating on the same line, and I want to say it's been with Michael Rasmussen. Yeah, I think going into the season, there was kind of a, well, they've got Andrew Cop. They just signed pretty much the same player, JT Conver stylistically they are very similar last year with Colorado Confer kind of had well I'm not even going to say kind of he had a pretty much a breakout season offensively but was 
kind of in a higher role. I think a big question for us was, is he going to be able to do that, not on Colorado, on a team like Detroit? And, uh, again, this is another situation for them. So far, so good. It's working. He isn't skating with any player that I would have said, okay, that's a high-skill winger, a high-skill shooter, anyone that is going to really help him rack up points, but it's it's working, and he's kind of been a big part of that. So the, the offensive ability, at least to start the season, is still there, which I think is a huge plus for Detroit because – uh, going into this, I there was a or going into the season, I had a little worry about would he kind of regress back down to a like a third line level offensive performance. So let me let me I guess put a little bit of a damper on you know we're 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 raving about what they're doing and their actual results. Detroit's actual results have been good. So the I got. Evolving Hockey's line tool up their forward lines up here. Dabrinkit, Larkin, Raymond have been scoring or controlling the goal differential 75%. So they've got 75% of the goals for when they're on the ice. Absolutely tremendous. Yes. You Like we've talked about, is this sustainable? Not at that level. But I will say their expected goals, so their shot quality, kind of how well they're controlling the game, is just above fifty percent. And this is going, and this is of course coming with tough matchups. So, are they the best line in the league? Well, goal scoring they might be, but from a kind of how sustainable it is, I'd have some questions but I'm not expecting a complete fall off a cliff. I think it's going to, it's things are going to settle down a little bit. They'll probably score a few less and they'll get a few more scored on them, but I think they'll still play quality hockey. The second line has basically split even with their goal differential. So no problem there, but the problem is, is they're, really overachieving they're getting caved in their expected goals for percentage is 31 percent so their their actual rates are fine but if we start if you talk about progress or regress when you start to see big differences there the regression the regression might hit Third line of Sprong, Perron, Valeno has been also really good, at least as far as scoring goals and controlling the goal differential. But again, the underlying numbers controlling the shot quality is not great. They've had a shockingly good performance from a four, their fourth line who actually haven't scored a goal, but have been controlling play really, really well. And right now I'm looking at the line of Zarnik, uh, Christian Fisher, and Clem Costin. So that's the line that you actually expect to progress a little bit more. So balance-wise, I think just looking at their forward numbers, they're due for a level of regression. They're definitely overachieving. So it's things are going well, but I think we might have some issues already. 
Yes. Yeah, so that was kind of the the big thing where I was going with Comfer and Cop was it appears that the offense is there, but if we're going to, we'll say, make an educated guess of what is going to happen over the course of a full season, if they're actually going to continue to play exactly the way that they're playing right now, that offensive, really the offensive performance that they're displaying right now is most likely not going to continue. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a, if, if you were to ask me, I think you're kind of in the same boat. They're looking really good to start the season. It's probably not sustainable. Well, I have the numbers up. Probably should just put a kind of wrap up the defense as well. Yep. So, again, everything we've been saying about that first pair of Wallman Cider, tre- tremendous, absolutely tremendous pair. Uh, goals four percentage right now, so they're getting 66% of the goals while they're on the ice. They're expected, again, how well they're controlling the shot quality, 52.5%. That's really, that's solid. That's really, really solid. And considering Mo Cider is 22 years old, there's there's a chance that that continues to actually creep up in the season. So, again, are they due for a level of regression? Yes, but if I'm I'm I would still be very excited about that first pair. Really, the rest of the defense outside of when Sherratt and Petrie have been together is fine. They're hovering right around expected goals, so shot quality of around 50%, not great, but fine. But again, the actual results are just outpacing those expected, the shot quality that they're on the ice for. So realistically, that the joke about them having two third pairs, that's kind of what the numbers are showing, is they have two pairs that you'd be happy as a third pair, but have been outperforming things. So Again, I I think what we've said already about Detroit, we're just backing up right now with some numbers with where they're going, good or bad. I but that doesn't mean they're going to fall off a cliff by any means. But again, they're probably not hitting that over point total either. Yeah, it's a situation where. So, if we want to look just at the outcome of the games in this first part of the season, Detroit is beating the expectations we had for them. That said, the more advanced often referred to as kind of like the underlying numbers here. It's more likely than not that they will regress a little bit, not necessarily fall off a cliff. That's more of an extreme, but the outcomes that we're getting with Detroit are not likely to continue. So getting kind of into their current forward group from more of like a cap contract length perspective. And I think this will transition nicely to where we kind of see them going, what their window might be. So, Larkin, 27 years old, just signed a new long-term 
contract. So he's he's there until he's 35. So any window we're talking about, he's part of. Yep. To bring it, four-year contract, age 25 right now. I'll get in where my opinion is, kind of their future window is, if you will. So, and to me, to bring it's right on that edge. Andrew Kopp, four years remaining as well. That'll take him to 33. Debrinkit will be 29-30 for his next contract. JT Comfer, five-year deal, taking him to 33. So he's going to be around for a while. I don't know how well that's going to age. And then the only other forward on their NHL roster locked up to any sort of term, so any contract beyond this year, is Clem Costin, who only has two years, 24 years old. And then Robbie Favre, who's just had the worst injury luck. He also has another year. I, I, I really hope he can get back because when he's played hockey, he's been very good. But he unfortunately just had some tough luck there. So he's got one more remaining as well. Every other forward currently on their roster will need a new contract this offseason some of the free agents that are probably walking Peron Sprong likely maybe Fisher Zarnick who probably aren't breaking the bank either way so I think let's this will transition nicely into where we start to see longer term outlooks for the Detroit Red Wings forwards they're going to have to make kind of decisions on multiple guys this offseason Michael Rasmussen Lucas Raymond so Raymond's a little bit younger but a decision still gonna have to be made Joe Valeno and then Jonathan Berggren as well who's kind of bounced up and down the past couple years those are probably the forwards that some level of decisions going to have to be made yeah so I think the Lucas Raymond decision now when we say decision it can be as I guess as simple as like is this a building block we can dive deeper into that and say well what kind of commitment should they be looking to make with these players I think Lucas Raymond is probably the easiest of the bunch to say he's a long-term piece. Um, I want to say that, um, and again, this is where numbers could kind of lead you maybe the incorrect way or to the incorrect path. Um, with how things have been going, you might expect us to say, or I guess I won't speak for you, you might expect me to say Michael Rasmussen should be part of the long term. I think I would personally pump the brakes on that a bit. Um, he's kind of been part of that confer cop line, and I think we kind of need to see them turning around a little bit with their on-ice uh, metrics some of the more advanced metrics. Um, 
So it, I guess I'll say that's a name that I would watch with Detroit of hopefully they don't overreact to a strong start to the season. You mentioned Joe Valeno. He's probably a short-term deal. Has been fairly decent, a bit better than Rasmussen as far as those metrics. That being said, these players, it's really Lucas Raymond that stands out as he's a building block. The others probably get the smaller one to maybe three-year deals, if that, and it's kind of meant to be short-term so that if it doesn't work out, they can be moved on from. Yeah, I mean, we've preached enough times, don't do bridge deals, don't do bridge deals, because what you're in essence doing with a bridge deal is you're betting your player is going to get worse, or at least not improve. And generally, that's a bad idea, bad bet to make. The issue is, is we're starting to get enough sample on some of these guys. I think Valeno's maybe the... The tipping point to me, Rasmussen has not put enough together where you can give him a long-term contract. Probably try to do two years, which would take him to age 26, and then you'd have him as a restricted free agent with arbitration rights for one more year. So not an ideal situation to walk yourself into, but it allows you to make a better, probably a better long-term decision there. And I'd say the same for Jonathan uh, Bergman, Berggren, sorry. I'm going to mess that up like five times probably in the next couple <laughs> minutes here. Will be, again, probably another two to three year, as you said, to walk him 25, 26 years old. Bueno, I mean, you could do you could do the exact same thing with, but I think you can maybe justify... If you can get him on a very favorable dollar amount, I think you can justify the long-term deal because if things don't work out before he hits age 26, you can buy him out at a third of the cost. So if you can kind of take advantage of it, I think it's a smart gamble. And so Valeno, I'd... Again, depending on it, I, I say it takes two to tango, depending on what his camp's willing to accept. But if I'm Detroit and I can get him on maybe a $4 million contract with term, maybe that's pushing it. But three and a half to four, I think I'm okay giving that term now. And then Lucas Raymond's looking probably seven, eight million on seven, eight years. Yeah, so I, I was going to say Lucas Raymond and then defensively Mo Sider fits exactly what I'm about to say too. These should be long-term deals. Really, the max term would be great. Detroit is projected to have, I believe, a just a touch over 29 mil in cap space next year. There's really no reason that Cider or Raymond should be coming in on a short-term deal. You've got the money to get them both locked up long-term, and you still have some left over that if you wanted to play around with other additions, you could do it. This is 
kind of exactly what we talk about with the long-term versus short-term that you were discussing. This is the obvious situation of there's no real hindrance to making it happen. It's kind of inexcusable if they don't have long-term deals after this season. So I think Cider is the easier one to kind of point to where the comparison lies. Owen Power. Uh, Owen Power just signed with the Sabres. Seven years, over $8 million. So depending on how this season goes for Cider and maybe when that deal gets done, you're probably looking seven years, I'm going to say eight and a half to $9 million. Um, I think that's penciling it in. If you want to buy that eighth year, which I kind of recommend i think you're i think you better be ready to start that num that average annual value with a nine i think i think that's what you're looking at i think that's where the bar is going to be set i definitely agree i think in general there's a slight premium on a right shot defenseman as well so i factor that in it, it wouldn't be shocking at all to see a, a nine mil av or nine plus i should say so yeah, that that one's kind of the easier like you're you're going to have to pay this guy like he's your number 1 pretty much. Lucas Raymond is a little bit of a a tougher contract to predict right now and mainly because it's not 100% clear exactly what he's going to be, but that's kind of common when we're looking at younger players like this. Um, Lucas Raymond currently is a 21-year-old. He'll be 22 most likely when a new contract hits when you have younger guys who you expect to grow into a really a, a top player for you decent chance a, a long-term contract might look a little big and I don't want to say scary but maybe just a slight shock at first because maybe he's not quite that player yet when I look at Lucas Raymond and consider the team he was on the past couple of years, seems like he was going to kind of at least be at a floor, a pretty solid middle six winger. And again, floor. That being said, considering he's on Detroit, okay, he's probably going to turn into a, a clear top six winger. The question we're going to have this year, and it's probably what Detroit is kind of waiting to see. So he's got eight points right now in 10 games. He's looking real good on that line with Larkin and Dabrinkit. Is does, does Lucas Raymond have that next step of elite play? Um, so again, I, I think Detroit's kind of wanting to see what happens this season for Raymond. So initially, I would think, based off the past couple seasons, we could see a long-term deal that falls into the into the five million, maybe the low sixes. If he continues to play the way he's played at the start of the season, we could be looking a bit higher than that, more into the seven millions. So I think this is where we bring up. It's tough to do comparable players for I like I'm we're, we're racking our brains trying to think of someone who's a good comparison for a young player usually these guys don't get the long term which is which is the struggle but I kind of look at Troy Terry not the same situation by any means 
but I think that provides a level of a benchmark at least. So why they're different, Troy Terry is 25. He'll be buying only a couple restricted free agent years, which are usually cheaper. And then Anaheim's getting probably a discount on what he would get if he were to be an unrestricted free agent in the open market. Raymond, on the other hand, would only be buying at a seven-year deal. So Terry was seven years, $7 million per. Raymond, at that length, would only be buying three unrestricted free agent years. And that might be something Detroit's interested in doing. I, again, I think we, we think they should be doing a seven or eight-year max term deal if you will I think probably the deal that Lucas Raymond's looking at is Matthew Boldy Minnesota Wild and um, that just feels like the correct comparison again much like Troy Terry seven million dollars a year so I think that that's a fair range to really be penciling him in yeah, I, I think so. We were on the right track as far as like what the contract is probably going to need to look like. But just from a comparison's sake, it, it can be a little tough to say Troy Terry, who I think was 25, and then looking at Lucas Raymond, who right now is 21, going to be signing at 22, I believe. It's, it can get a little dicey comparing players that far apart in age. Matt Boldy, his contract, very similar situation as Lucas Raymond. So I, I, I think that that is the good comp. Probably the only issue is I think Boldy's put up slightly better or more consistent numbers. But again, we're talking the end. If we get to the end of this season and Raymond kind of does what he should do, that's really probably where he's looking. Plus higher cap, that $7 million feels about right. But... This is this is why it's tough is you're paying you're going to be committing to paying him like a top six winger again smart gambles to make I think this is one of those smart gambles to make because I feel like if he takes another step or two forward that seven million dollars will look like an absolute steal a couple years down the road. And this can be a kind of a give or take 250 to 500K. You have a player that young who is really a top six winger at this point. You lock him in at that number, and especially we got to remember the cap's going to be increasing now. Kind of been stuck in a world where it hasn't been for a little bit, so I think it's important to really remember that just in the next few years we could see the cap increase nine to ten mil fairly easily seven by seven for a top six winger is going to be probably very standard like almost a floor if you want to get a deal done long term for a top six winger again that's in two three years most likely but now would be the time to lock that in we don't have to jump right into this yet if you've got something else but I think this kind of leads into where Detroit's window might be 
Let me let me add one more thing on Lucas Raymond and his okay. contract situation. So our first episode in kind of this new series we're doing was the Buffalo Sabres. We talked about a couple wingers that they have that they're going to be making a decision on soon as well. Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka are, pro- are the two names to mention here. Buffalo has shown a willingness to give those long-term deals right out of the gate. So, And they've been also willing to do it early. So if you're Detroit, you see, I'm going to use Paterka right now because Quinn's been injured to start the season, and Paterka's off to a really hot start. If you see Buffalo thinking about making this move, they might set the market on you, and you might not love how where that kind of where Lucas Raymond kind of fits in. So you need to be smart and savvy about making this decision because there are other teams out there that are going to be doing the same type looking to do the same type of thing. And if you're kind of a little slow on the punch here, you could end up spending more than you're kind of hoping to. So and I think that's an important consideration as we start to get into long-term building is as you start to have guys that are good, you want to pay those guys. And saving that extra million to two million is absolutely critical. So looking at Detroit's bigger picture, longer-term window here. Me personally, I see... They have their current kind of group that's going to be this year. And then I kind of see their group being reshaped after three years. I kind of see a three. We're talking about a three year window here. I don't know if that's great, but that's kind of what I'm looking at. So talked and in, in the Sabres episode, we talked about having your building, your long term building blocks. Where do we feel Detroit stands on their long-term building blocks? So we'll start at forward because that's kind of where we just were. Larkin, I'm going to say Debrinkit, even though it's a four-year deal and then UFA, he should be part of their long-term plan. Lucas Raymond, who we were just discussing. At forward, that that's it for them. Right now. Now, there might be some prospects we can get to them in a little bit, but on the NHL roster, I think it's those three guys, um, which is good. You have a, we'll say, a first-line center and two arguably first-line wingers. You'd like to see another name or two, I think, kind of emerge and put themselves in that long-term building block conversation um, so that there's a little bit more depth there long-term. But that's a decent start. Defensively, probably, I'm going to say two names right now in the NHL. It's Sider and Wallman. And I think goalies... uh, a question mark right now. I think you're, we're still looking to see what uh, Ville Huso is really going to be. Is he going to be a consistent top goalie, or is he going to have these up and down uh, windows throughout each season? So, I mean, really, I, I've got five names. 
who are currently on the NHL roster at least. So the the question is is can we start checking off boxes? Sabres, we were able to check off a couple centers, multiple defense, put a question mark with goalie. Detroit, so their current first line arc at Debrinket Raymond, I agree they should be there long term. Is that your long term first line? He, that's that's a question. So do we want to put a check in either a player currently on their roster or a prospect for their first, for kind of their one C, which is probably one of the most important positions to have? So that's, I think that opens up a big question slash debate. I think Detroit fans might get really angry about others bringing it up. Is Dylan Larkin a true one C? I don't think he's had much around him. I think we're what, what we're seeing this year now that he has to bring it on the wing. I, I think we're seeing a true one C I'm comfortable putting a check next to Larkin as their first line center. What about Larkin in three years? I would say most likely in three years, I'm still okay with Larkin there. I think once if you were to toss out five years that's where i start to get a little more uncomfortable kind of getting into the 32 33 age range i i think i'm still okay with larkin um in that three to four year range so we're we're maybe putting a check in pencil i don't think we're we're fully going yeah. pen here yeah but they do have some guys that maybe we feel a little bit better putting a check that someone, that they at least have a building block there. Maybe guys is being a little bit generous. So they have two center prospects, Marco Casper, Nate Danielson. Marco Casper projects to be a solid NHL player but he's probably not your long-term 1C. Let's get that one out of the way. He's probably more of a solid middle six piece. I, I think the hope, sh for, the hope for him should be can play on a second line or be like an elite third line player. That That's probably what you're hoping for. Ironically, kind of like a JT Confer. Yeah, and I, I think a big characteristic, I guess, or a, a I guess synopsis of his skill set, I think Casper's often referred to as more of a two-way type of player. So, yeah, he's exactly Confer or Andrew Kopp. So that that's absolutely no problem. That's a good building block to have. Uh, get no no issue there. The question, I think, is going to be Nate Danielson. Yep. He was not, when Detroit made that pick, wasn't received overly well. But in preseason prospect camp, prospect tournament, he showed pretty well. So we're, we're, we're talking about 
someone who was literally drafted months ago yeah. as a potential long-term 1C, which is which is a tough exercise, but that's kind of the purpose of this long-term look. So can one of Danielson or Larkin provide long-term stability at 1 and 2C? I'd be okay saying right now, yes. I, I, I think not to further the conversation, they're going to need more depth coming through at center. That said, Danielson should be a top six center. The question the Red Wings are going to have, and maybe less so right now because I, I think Larkin is a 1C right now, but you, you brought up three, four years down the road. And again, I, I personally might still be okay then with Larkin at 1C, but a little iffy. But I, I think the question is going to be is, assuming Danielson is up in the NHL at that point, he should be, will they have a true number one center or will they have two pretty decent second line centers? It's tough to say right now, as you mentioned, it's kind of hard. There's everyone can predict the potential of a prospect, but he was just drafted months ago, which that's kind of what led me to say that they really need to keep building the higher end talent at center um, in case things don't go right here. Yeah, no pressure, Nate Danielson, who I'm sure is absolutely listening to this podcast uh, but you're Detroit's only hope. Pretty much. I mean, uh, we can use Buffalo as another example. Things didn't look too good for Buffalo. Kind of out of nowhere, they ended up with uh, Thompson, Cousins, Middlestat, um, Krebs was coming up. And all of a sudden, I think Buffalo fans could sit there and be like, wow, there's actually some pretty good center depth here. That's not the situation Detroit's in right now, which is kind of putting all of your eggs in the Danielson basket pretty much of this this kid's the future. And honestly, so not to downplay Marco Casper, he's going to be most likely a solid NHL player, but from a high-end talent perspective, it's Nate Danielson and there's no one else on the list. And I don't know if you were meant to refer to just centers there or just in general, at forward because I'd be willing to go out and say that my long-term issue with Detroit is at forward right now. I don't love the potential. So again, we started with the Sabres as our first episode where they're just absolutely stacked with, with player after player after player that has shown flashes, has shown signs, has put up numbers. Detroit, we are looking at players that have, frankly, bounced for a couple years already. Again, Bergren, I guess, and Elmer Soderblom would be the two. Would be two guys who have. I'm not gonna sit here and say that those are the future top end guys, but those are kind of the next in line at least because they're kind of the bouncers. And then you start getting down, like we're we're talking about Carter Mazar as their next best 
forward prospect and I mean again you're you're putting hopes into a guy who hasn't played in the well he's in the age out now but hasn't really played a lot of pro games yeah so I mean w- what we pretty much did here and I guess we talked about Casper kind of with Danielson because of the center conversation but we we dropped down from here's the high-end talent guy to here's the guys who you you hope become a middle six type of player, and that if it happens, you are very happy with it. Um, so I, I I think the kind of straightforward way to say it is there's no high end talent really in this system at forward other than Danielson, and that kind of is the issue. Um, and you mentioned Buffalo to compare it to Buffalo. Buffalo has a handful, maybe even two handfuls of forward prospects that you could say this guy could be a second-line player um, and maybe even a first-line player. So I, I, I think I I will say I agree. I think looking at Detroit, the forward depth um, – specifically the prospect depth that's kind of my main concern here as well so i i mean we're being negative right now on on the prospect pool but i think they have built up in other places where this next upcoming draft they should use almost every single pick on high ceiling type of forward players yeah i I do want to say this it's not meant to be a knock against guys like the Soderblom or uh, Carter Mazur. They could end up being good players, but they're, uh, again, there's the issue of the higher end talent. That's the main issue. It's not that Detroit doesn't have any forward depth, prospect depth. It's just the higher end. And like you said, other parts of the prospect pool seem to be a little bit stronger. So on defense, obviously Mo Sider, we're we're locking in long term. We're taking care of that. And Jake Wallman, I think you're probably okay penciling to penning him in for another five to eight years. What'll be interesting with him is so he's got this season and then two more years and he's a UFA. That's going to be an interesting conversation at that point. Cause he's going to be 30. So I, I, I think, yeah, you could count on him for five years, but three years into that five years, you're going to have to make a big decision, which me, you're smart with your cap. You should be fine. Yes. But this is also when that three years is also when some well, some defensemen are coming off the book, but you're also going to probably start eating into some of the other guys' contracts. They're not going to be able to slide anymore. So, prospects on defense, Simone Edvinson, William Wallander, and I think probably the big name right now to look at is Axel Sandine Palinka, who was highly thought of like he was probably one of the better defensemen in this draft and I'm pretty sure he's off to a really good start this year overseas 
So there's three defensemen that seem destined to be long-term pieces for the Detroit Red Wings. So defense, that's a good situation to be in. Yeah, so those three, um, I guess I'll start with Edvinson. He's probably the one who might be a little more highly regarded of the three. I don't know if that's how it will actually play out. But I, I think he's kind of been the one who is considered to be more of a, like he could turn into a top pair defenseman. The question has been if the offensive talent will be there or not, uh, as far as a top pair, top defenseman on a team. But the I think the main thing to point out with the three names you mentioned, they should all be solid top four guys, um, at least from a potential, um, if we're trying to predict the future here, those three, Edvinson, Polika, Wallander, that's kind of where the strength, I think, as far as prospect depth is because you have three guys who, in theory, could be top four defensemen, and that's that's good. And then, you again, you have Mo Sider already, so there's you already have four yeah. guys, and then whatever happens with Wallman, there's yep. potentially five guys. So I guess the difference here between forward and defense is there's already kind of your for sure number one defenseman in the NHL. At center right now, maybe you've got the number one center, but down the road, I mean, there's an age difference in Larkin and Sider here. So five years down the road, Sider's still going to be your number one defenseman. Larkin could be kind of starting to go downhill a little bit. So I, I think just the long-term defensive outlook is much, much better. And, I mean, it's arguable that that might be the harder place to build depth or at least young acquire young talent anyways. Like, I think each draft, there's plenty of high-ceiling forwards. So you, you get enough picks, you can throw enough darts at the board, but you have to take on that mentality, which Steve Eiserman has not yet really shown in his drafting that those are the type of players he's looking for, at least at forward, because a lot of the guys we've run through already do not fit the mold of high ceiling players. They fit the mold of very safe, conservative picks that will probably be NHL guys, but where their ceiling is is questionable. And then really the last place for Detroit as far as building blocks go goalie Sebastian Colsa is one of the top prospects across the entire sport so you hope between him and Huso you can firmly put a check in the goalie box yeah I think with Kosa it's the question, I think, is last year was his first pro season. He was in the ECHL, and I think there were kind of the flashes of greatness and then flashes of, wait a minute, um, is this our first-round draft pick? So first thing I want to say about that is 
goalies are very hard to predict and it can a lot of times be less about the save percentage that you're looking at especially down in the in the minors AHL or even ECHL or even the other leagues uh, junior leagues so I I don't want to just say oh he had an up and down season he's not that high-end elite prospect goalie anymore I'm more bringing that up to say it is tough to predict what these goalies are going to do. That's kind of where the importance is of having multiple. So like like you said, there's Huso in the NHL right now. We want to see if he can really just become consistent because we've seen the really strong play. You have Kosa coming up through um, the AHL. You want to see him have a solid season, possibly maybe even get a taste of the NHL, maybe not. But I think the big thing is, yeah, you have your top goalie prospect. Keep drafting goalies, get people, more players into the system so that you can keep throwing darts to find the number one. And I should also add, they did take Trey Augustine this this past draft, forty first overall. So that's a high, that's another high pick being spent on a goalie. And any Red Wings fans potentially listening to this, ECHL for goalie is not like a death sentence. No, goalies spend time in the ECHL, and Kosa's numbers last year in the ECHL were actually quite good for that league. Again, you want to see progress, but any I would very much pump the brakes on on him as a potential bust, but like the very much so. So so I think that's very important to point out. Yes, they need they have drafted a second goalie, probably should draft a third goalie because long term right now in their system, it's maybe who so Kosa, Augustine, and that's it, and that's really not enough to build a long-term system with. I think to speak to what you kind of just mentioned with Kosa and kind of not to worry, anyone that's seen an NHL game and then an AHL game, and this isn't even speaking to the ECHL, but just the difference in play, you, you know what's happening in front of the goalie is very different it's kind of it's why I mentioned it's really tough to just gauge what how a goalie is playing based off of save percentage or something like that which I think a lot of people still do so yeah it's it's not at all at a point where we need to be worried about COSA I, I think more just from a organizational philosophy you need to keep drafting the goalies and keep throwing the darts because you don't really know what's going to happen as they climb up the ladder through the different levels. So kind of at, uh, the way we wrapped up our episode on the Sabres, we'll do again kind of a long-term look at the cap quickly. And really Detroit has a lot of freedom. I think that's the best way to put it. They have, they have Larkin wrapped up. I mean, that's really your only long-term contract. I kind of did it. I looked at them after three years. They only have $27.3 million committed. Or maybe that's in three years. I think that's in three years. Sorry. So the 26-27 the season is where you're talking about. It would be 27.3 in cap hits. Yep. 
estimating the salary cap probably around 96 million that's a little different than what cap friendly has cap friendly is 92 basically every season in the future so i'm adding i'm adding a four million kind of bump to their projection so that's about an eight nine million rise over the next couple years which isn't outrageous to think so with only 27.3 million committed they have almost 69 million to work with like that's a nice amount (laughs) yeah they're gonna have i mean so i I think the other key aspect to point out here though is going to be of that 27.3 that's four players so quick math mo cider let's say nine million dollars and lucas raymond around seven that still leaves you with 52 $0.7 0.7 million dollars almost 53 million dollars uh, to work with that could be give or take but it regardless you're looking at a lot which yeah I, I think it's fair to say it's it's pretty wide open for Detroit again this is sort of another reason the Mo Sider Lucas Raymond deals should be long-term deals there's not a real reason in the short term or the long term for them not to be this really lets Detroit have a lot of financial freedom for that window that we were kind of talking about three, four years down the road. That being said, they need to be smart with how they use that money. Where teams, I think, can get in trouble is if they need to rely too much on free agency. And I'm not going to say I'm at a concern a high level of concern. But like we mentioned, the higher end talent is kind of lacking from the prospect pool. So I I guess I'd worry just a little bit that they might feel they have to rely a little more on free agency, which is okay here and there. But generally you're signing a player for couple years of what you think he is and then he's going to start declining so i i think there's a lot of money there ideally there would be more talent coming up through their own system that they could be re-signing at a young age and not necessarily signing the 30 31 year old to a five-year contract i think look at what they've done on defense right now they can't repeat that because right now they have too many guys locked into three-year contracts and they have prospects that really need to start getting NHL games before those contracts are up. Don't You can't put yourself in the same position with the forward. So you're, you're going to have so much flexibility. So sure, Debrinkit maybe gets, gets a long-term commitment and that's probably fine. But... You you can't have multiple guys lingering when you need younger players to start stepping in because that's how you spin your mediocre wheels, basically. Yeah, and I think back towards the beginning of this episode, we kind of mentioned that forward, there's a lot coming off the books next year. That doesn't mean they should just go out and spend a ton of money just because they have it. I think it's important to keep in mind, like you said, it might be good to see some of these younger guys 
have them in the NHL, find out what they're going to be so that when that possible window comes, I'll say roughly the 26-27 season, give or take a year, you know what these players are. You know what you might need to add then. But a whole other aspect of this, and I guess this is really just one name. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll make it two names. Alex Debrinkit, Jake Wallman. Between the 2026 offseason, you might be looking at new deals for each of them. Debrinkit will have one more left, but uh, one more year left. But you're going to have them needing new deals. You're in the same sort of time frame. Might be looking at Nate Danielson needing a deal. Edvinson, Casper, Wallander, Palika, if they're up. So there's a lot of money there. And that's great. But I don't think that they should just go and spend it all. And I think not to keep going to Buffalo, but... I think the past couple of years with Buffalo, some fans have said, you have all this cap space, all this money, go go get whoever in free agency. And it's, I, I think, easier to see now that it was a little smart not to just spend right up to the cap because now these young pieces you're developing, you can fit in long term. So we, we kind of, like, in our forward look, we were talking about, like, Rasmussen, Vol- Valeno again no, numbers wise there Rasmussen has not been good this year from un, an underlying stamp number standpoint Valeno's been okay um I mean you have the flexibility where you probably could talk yourself into giving them one of the long-term deals because you do need some players on the books and I'd rather gamble on 23 24 year olds than late 20 year olds so if you're going to do something maybe that's a little bit less of a strategic risk that's where i'd lean if you can get them on a relatively team friendly contract so yeah detroit has tons of space to work with but i think you're 100 percent right They've got to be smart with how they use it, and they need to start paying attention to timelines of their for of their prospects because on defense, I think they've kind of screwed that up a little bit. Forward, they have the opportunity to lay a good, put a good plan in place, and hopefully that's kind of what occurs. Yep. And I, again, I'll, I'll throw the names out there. So Danielson, Edvinson, Casper, Palika, and Wallinder. So there's five, we'll call them top prospects. I, I think it there's a slight drop-off after those five names. They should be finding out in the next two years if they think any of those five guys are going to have a long-term future. And obviously some of them probably they already know they will, but you, you need to find out how those guys fit long term. And then Colsa Huso decision as well would be probably the, the yes. sixth. If we're gonna add a sixth, maybe seventh guy, that's that's the other decision they need to kind of figure out and make make a smart call on. Those are those are the 
easier, but also the decisions that are going to set them up for long-term success. Yep. So that's Detroit. They have kind of the world's their oyster. They just need to be very smart with how they approach everything. So we appreciate you listening to this episode of the Max Stern Podcast, subscribing on wherever you might be listening. Give us a follow at AFP Analytics, at Max Term Pod on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate trying to build our Blueski accounts as well. Again, by our own names, Kyle Stitch, James Finch, will find us there. And with that, we'll talk to you next time.